Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for Sports Talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome to a brand new edition of Around the Dial, your home for the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, February 5th, two days post another Patriots world title. I'm Andrew Bogish filling in for the great Damon Amendolaro, who's getting a much deserved day off after a busy week on Radio Row in Atlanta, then having to survive the Pats victory on Sunday and all the reaction on the radio on Monday. I guess, though, we should begin with the all-time Super Bowl champ. Tom Brady is the first player to need a second hand for his Super Bowl rings after Sunday in Atlanta. Before parading through Boston this morning, he checked in with his good friends, Mutton Callahan on WEEI. You talked a lot after the game about this season. Was it surreal based on the way the season went to get to that game on Sunday and win that game Sunday? I mean, it felt like the adversity was a big part of the storyline of this Patriots team this year? Yeah, it was obviously uh, like that a lot of ways throughout the year. And we just, we overcame a lot. It's, you know, football season's a marathon. And I think, you know, we can get so caught up in, you know, what everything looks like the second week of training camp or, you know, late in September or even at the bye week. But I think the mark of the team is how we played down the stretch and, um, you know, we played our best game, and we we won a lot of different ways. That was, I think, the thing that makes it unique. We, you know, even if you look at the playoffs to beat those three teams, I was thinking about that last night. San Diego, who was undefeated on the road all year, you know, and then to go on the road to KC, who's one of the best teams all year, and then to play against the Rams and really win a totally different way, and to have the greatest defensive performance in Super Bowl history. You know, it's just it's what it's really about a team. You know, and I think the team sums it up. That's always been the mark of our team. It's never been about, you know, one player, one phase of the game, or, you know, is everybody contributing at different times? And I think that's what makes it so special. Do you ever, when you go to a Super Bowl, Tom, do you ever tell yourself or feel like this could be it, this could be the last one? There's a there's a video of, of you and Belichick, and you, you guys won't like this because it's kind of eavesdropping, but Belichick says, we're coming back again. I mean, do you feel like you're going to go back again? You know, it's, I think it's a um, – I certainly don't take it for granted. You know, it's right. it's it's very difficult. And uh, everyone who's done it, you know, knows the hard work and the struggle. And, um, you know, I just – I have so much appreciation for, for our team. It's always hard to win. We always say it's hard to win a game in the NFL. It's hard to win a championship. And um, I sure hope I have another opportunity. But, again, that's a hope. That's not – those are just words that doesn't, you know, translate into the hard work that has to be earned. And I think the thing about winning a championship is you can't buy it. You know, no one gives it to you. You got to go earn it. And, uh, you know, I, I think the confidence comes in the work ethic 
And I think as long as people are willing to put the work in and to put the team first, you know, we're, we're going to have a chance. So this is about today and the celebration and the culmination of a great year and nothing beyond that. So I'm just excited to be a part of, uh, you know, what Sunday meant for our team, what the next, what today brings for our city, you know, being in Boston, the parade, and then obviously we'll all enjoy it for, you know, very, you know, for a while, and then we'll we'll get back to work. Well, you're going to have a parade today in part because of the drive, Tom, in the fourth quarter. You guys had one big offensive drive, five plays, 69 yards. It was not the type of game a lot of people expected. That one drive really was the big scoring drive in the in the game. Take us through before that drive and knowing that that was an important part to go down and get a touchdown at that point in the game, late in the game. Yeah, it was a, it was a big drive, and our best, you know, our two drives at the end in Kansas City were huge. Our two drives at the end in this game were huge, and uh, you know that's when you need it. So you know, we just we moved the ball, you know, pretty well. We just didn't score as many points as we were hoping. We just couldn't quite sustain the drives. They have a lot of great players. You know, they made it tough. They got. You know, Sue and Donald, you know, they're factors all day. And the secondary, those guys played. Linebackers played well. They had a great scheme, really well coached. I mean, that's a great football team that we beat. So it took everybody in. Glad in the fourth quarter we, we put together the drive there. Gronk made a huge play, and uh, Sony punched it in. The line, you know, just did a great job there on the last drive. We just – Sony had some huge plays, and then to get down in the field goal range and have um, – you know, Steve kicked the field goal to win it was was really cool. Uh, you know, losing Super Bowls can r- ruin teams. You know that, Tom. It could destroy teams. You guys lost in pretty heartbreaking fashion last year, and then there was the whole Malcolm Butler thing, followed by just all kinds of uh, of drama between, you know, uh, Gronk and, and Jules and Josh Gordon. I mean, was this, and, and now everyone says it's the greatest coaching job Belichick ever had. It's hard to believe that it went, I don't want to say smoothly, but that it worked out the way it did after the way it started. I guess it started last year uh, losing the Eagles and ended with you bouncing back this year. Can you just wrap your mind around the last 12 months? Again, it's a lot of, you know, things that are done from the outside, you know, and not from the inside. And I think that you just focus on what we focus on, which is our performance, and that's what it's all about. You know, we've said ignore the noise for a long time. And there's always that I look at. You talk about our team. Every team deals with, you know, things. It's nothing is smooth or linear. This is all, these are team sports. These are, you know, there's adversity at every turn. You know, you have lots of people. It's a big organization. There's a lot of things happening. And, you know, I'd say we have done a great job over the years dealing with whatever adversities that we face, whether that's a loss game, like you said, in the Super Bowl last year, or losing games this year. But, you know, we're encouraged by, you know, all the positive things, too. And I think we lose track of the many positives, you know, because those don't, uh, you know, get brought up as much. I will do my best throughout this show to say something nice about the Patriots. But for now, let's balance out Brady with some irrational Patriot hate. D.A. is not here for some reason today. But he did have time to hang with Gwyn and Chris on KWFN in San Diego. DA, like the most of us in this country, you've been pretty open about uh, having Patriot fatigue. But you tweeted 
uh, that you are impressed with the Patriots, uh, with the Patriots because of their ability to adapt over time. Uh, what was most impressive about uh, their sixth title to you? Yeah, not only do I have Patriots fatigue, I've got Patriots physical illness. I've got some type of flu or hangover. I mean, this, I am so sick of this damn team. I just want somebody else you to be and in me the both. Super Bowl. I just, I just want some other quarterback to raise a trophy. I want some other coach you know, to, to get the accolades because this is so fatiguing and so tiresome. To go back to the dynasty point, you know, if you go back to the Cowboys of the 90s or – even the Niners of the 80s or the Steelers of the 70s or the Packers of the 60s, basically a team has 10 years. You essentially get about 8 to 10 years with your core group of guys to get championships won. And this team is now nearly 20 years in, so we are all totally over it. <laughs> but the most impressive thing, you know, the most impressive thing about the Patriots is, as, as you kind of cited there, the adaptability, because they yeah. have won championships in so many different ways, you know, those early 2000s teams were all defense, especially early in that 01 year where Tom Brady won that first championship. That was all about a defense that was at the top of its game. 03 and 04, while Brady got better, again, that was the number one defense in the NFL. He then transitions and he becomes the strength of the team. They become a long ball outfit when they, when they bring in Randy Moss, etc. And now, you know, you have a Tom Brady-led team last year that is heavy on passing offense. He throws for 500 yards in a Super Bowl loss, and now they've transitioned into a power ground game-based team that yesterday played a great defense against an explosive attack, and even in this postseason, they were able to score in a shootout and win against the Chiefs and then a grind-out affair yesterday and win. So that's the problem. They are an amoeba. They can change to whatever scenario they're in, and that's what makes them so dangerous and so damn successful, which makes us all want to vomit. <laughs> Damon Amendolara from CBS Sports uh, joining us to talk about Super Bowl 53 and uh, crowning the Patriots again as they come away with the victory 13-3. to uh, Damon, you talked about uh, the ineffectiveness of Goff, and I agree with you. The ineffectiveness of Tom Brady, I thought, was part of the story as well, and I, and it'll never get remembered. But one of my favorite people in football is Wade Phillips, and he's on the losing end of this game. But he did, he might have done a better job than Belichick did, slowing down the great Tom Brady, because the Patriots look about as frustrated as I'd seen them all year. I'm glad you brought that up, because you're absolutely right on. I think it's so fascinating. It just goes to show you how history turns on the dime of what Tom Brady's last two games were. Tom Brady is a D Ford offside away from sitting at home and having three interceptions in the AFC title game. Mm. And he is a one touchdown open man in, in Brandon Cooks away from potentially losing yesterday on his worst Super Bowl effort ever. And you're right, Wade Phillips had the exact design to take away what Brady and the Patriots offense can do. And the fact is, if they even have a semblance of a decent offense yesterday from the Rams, the Patriots lose, and we're talking about how Brady looked so ineffective yesterday. You know, sure, he hit Julian Edelman 10 times, and Edelman was great. But again, as the guys were pointing out last night of the broadcast, Edelman is 10 yards open or 15 yards open in every throw. That doesn't take Tom Brady to make those throws. I thought Brady had... One exquisite throw to Gronk, the 21-yarder down to the two-yard line, 
that set up that touchdown. Beautiful throw, beautiful diving catch by Gronk. But how many times did Brady miss receivers on the outside? How many times Brady throws an interception in his first throw yesterday, not seeing you know how the zone defense kind of kind of swung over to that side? Brady had a terrible game. Let's face it, it was a terrible game for him. Hmm. And they still win because of, you know, how ineffective the, the Rams offense was. I know DA's paying really well. Maybe that's why I got the call for this today. Now, I can't speak for Damon, but my frustration with the Patriots does stem from their unbelievable, unending, ridiculous amount of success. It's basically a compliment. If they weren't so damn good, I wouldn't waste any energy on them. And I really thought the Rams were going to join the Eagles and the Giants in sparing us another Pats title, but not even a little bit. L.A. did have its chances on Sunday but missed them all, as Mike Francesa pointed out on Mike's On on WFAN in New York City. The one that will haunt the Rams, absolutely haunt the Rams, at 3 nothing. before he takes the sack and they still make the field goal and now it's 3-3, he has, he has Cooks in the end zone, in the middle of, of the end zone, 1-1,000, 2-1,000. I don't mean open. I mean open by 25 yards, 3-1,000, 4-1,000, 5-1,000. He finally sees him. I mean, there is nobody around him. And then he launches this lollipop, this pop-up, that when by the time it gets down there, he overthrows it and the defender's there to break it up. I mean, it was a stone walk-in touchdown. You could have thrown it. I could have thrown it. The guy in the 15th row could have thrown it. That's how wide open it was. A high school kid could have thrown it. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a complete breakdown. It wasn't their only breakdown in the second It was a complete breakdown, and he never saw it. Never saw it until it was way too late. And then the next play takes a sack, which he's lucky didn't knock him out of field goal range at 3-3. Here's the play that I am going to get on McVay on that drove me absolutely bonkers. They get a first down. They get a good run after that. And they get a holding call. Third and 22. There is, I believe I will get you the exact second. I believe there was 10 minutes left in the game. Okay. Third and 22. You are now in a 3-3 game. You are in the Super Bowl. You have an offense that was number two in the league. Number two in the league in plays over 20 yards. You're an offensive coach. There is 10 minutes and 30 seconds left in a 3-3 game. 10 minutes. And 33 seconds. And you run a give-up handoff and punt the ball back to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl? You don't try to get a first down in a 3-3 game in the 10 minutes left? In You were second in the league in plays over 20 yards. You had a big-time offense all year. You had open receivers in this game many times downfield. And on third and 22, you give up and run it into the line to punt 
and give the ball back to Tom Brady, who then proceeds to go boom, boom. And that point, the only thing I have with Wade, Wade in the fourth quarter, you have to make sure that Gronk does not beat you. I don't care if you put three guys on him. Let somebody else beat you. You know he's looking for Gronk in that spot. What did he do? Hit Gronk, hit Edelman, hit Gronk. You know he's doing that. I called one of them because where Gronk lined up. I said, this is going to Gronkowski. People were like, how do you? I said, take my word. Boom, there it went. I couldn't believe it. You can't not take him out of the action there. But before that, you're an offensive wizard. And what you have in the Super Bowl in a tie game on third and 22 on your 31, 10 minutes left with Tom Brady about to get the ball back, is to hand it off a give up into the line of scrimmage and punt it? Gutless. You can't play the Super Bowl that way. Try to win it. What you got was it shoved down your throat after that. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sunday was arguably Bill Belichick's masterpiece, grinding that offense from L.A. to a halt on the game's biggest stage. But there were openings for the Rams to find their rhythm, to find some points, as Mike said. He overthrows it, and the defender's there to break it up. I mean, it was a stone walk-in touchdown. You could have thrown it. I could have thrown it. The guy in the 15th row could have thrown it. I still don't know how they only scored three. Like most of you, that's the outcome I didn't see coming at all. I was prepared for the Pats to have the Rams flummoxed, but not useless. I was ready for Jared Goff at times to look dumbfounded like my good buddy Eli Manning has looked many times through his career. But I thought at some point he would figure things out. I thought at some point Todd Gurley would be useful. I thought at some point Brandon Cooks would be open. The ball would get to him and then he'd make a play. And I was confident in the Rams defense being up to the task against the Patriot offense. And they were somehow 13 points allowed wasn't good enough to get L.A. a win on Sunday in Atlanta because there was just no offense from the Rams. You're an offensive wizard, and what you have in the Super Bowl in a tie game on third and 22 on your 31, 10 minutes left with Tom Brady about to get the ball back, is to hand it off a give up into the line of scrimmage and punt it? Gutless. Bill Belichick wasn't alone in shutting them down in Atlanta. Defensive coordinator Brian Flores was the one calling the plays in the Super Bowl. So Sunday had to make the Dolphins feel better about their decision to hire Flores as head coach. He was officially introduced Monday afternoon. Let's check in with Dono and Fredo on WQAM in Miami. Listen, maybe some of it you can put on Jared Goff not being at his sharpest, but... When it came to the variety, the exotic nature of the blitzes and the creativity of the Pats defense, and listen, and a lot of that came after Patrick Chung, one of their more important players, Mm -hmm. got injured early in the game and and did not return. He got injured in the first half. So as far as a one-day final exam goes, 
Brian Flores got an A plus with the way he called that game yesterday. And yet the haters are going to say it was all Belichick. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And a lot of the Belichick haters will say that was all Flores. <laughs> right? So that's a two-way street there. Well, but yeah, you- listen, as far as having the opportunity to really impress me in the biggest possible stage, calling defensive plays, I thought Brian Flores hit a towering Grand Slam yeah. home run last night. And yeah, it does make me, and, and I was already, uh, I was coming around on Flores for a few weeks. You know, the more I learn about the guy, the more I think this is really interesting. I'd love to see him succeed here. It seems like he's got the sort of DNA to be a good head coach. I feel even better about Flores after what he did last night. I, you know, and it's not like he he stopped the, you know, the Dolphins offense. All the Dolphins, by the way, scored 30 points against him. Right. But nonetheless, this wasn't a, a lukewarm offense. This was a high-powered, high-octane offense, and he just basically just shut them down, limiting them to just three points, forcing them to punt eight possessions in a row. I mean, that's, that's, that's remarkable. Let's talk to Israel in Miami. What's up, Israel? Hey, guys, how's it going today? What's going on? So my thing on the Brian Flores hire, I'm not a fan simply because of the history of Belichick disciples. And I don't really care how great of a game he called in the Super Bowl because I seem to remember a few years back after the Patriots got upset by the Giants, Steve Spagnuolo got a head coaching job and he was a failure in St. Louis. Good point. So, So what that tells me is how am I supposed to expect Brian Flores to be different from about Patricia, Mangini, Cornell, any of those guys. That's just my two cents on it. Okay, and it's it's, a, it's certainly a fair point, but I will say, and I and I understand that, and there are a number of examples you can cite. The only thing I'll say is Brian Flores is not responsible for the failures of any of those guys. He is yeah, his own you're man. Right. You're right. Now he is going to be behind the eight ball, Israel, and that they're going to be a rebuilding team. They're not going to be good for at least two, maybe three years or longer. So it's going to take a while. And as Alex and I talked about earlier in the show, I hope that's not held against him by either the fans or the ownership. If they're going to deal him bad cards to get into a poker game with, then they've got to live with the results and know that he's he's behind the eight ball right now. I'll tell you what I believe the biggest challenge for Flores will be, right? That Now, let's just assume, for argument's sake, that when you're talking about tanking or rebuilding, let's just, for argument's sake, assume the team is not winning a lot of games for the next couple of years. Like mm-hmm. we're talking potentially being 3-13, and 2-14 and 14 bad. I'm not saying that's a guarantee or that's a lock, but let's assume that for argument's sake, right? If the team is really bad for the next couple of years, I believe management, including ownership, will give him the benefit of the doubt, understanding the situation. But the biggest challenge for Flores will be if the team is epically bad for the next couple of years – can you keep your players believing in you? Because I, I think that's tough. Now, Dolphins GM Chris Greer did say yesterday that drafting a QB in April is definitely on the table, so Flores and the Finns might need even more patience than the guys were just discussing. But if you're hoping and praying that this Patriot dynasty ends ASAP, you need the AFC East to get better immediately. The division has made things too easy for too long for New England. I like Flores, especially after Sunday, but it's hard to know where he ends and where Belichick begins when it comes to defensive game planning. And as we all know very well, from Cornell to Patricia and some others, Belichick disciples have not fared well once they're in charge. But if you're like me, 
and D.A., and you need the Patriots to be done. Fingers crossed that Flores is the one to break that trend and get the Dolphins back past respectability in the AFC East. And now for some things completely unconnected to those Patriots and or football. These are heady times right now for the Dallas Mavericks. Drafting Luka Doncic was a home run, and now they've traded for Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Owner Mark Cuban celebrated with Ben and Skim on 105 through the fan in Dallas. To see you guys get Luca and Porzingis in a nine-month stretch, it just feels incredibly special. I just love to get your temperature right now and your overall enthusiasm for the future of this team. Yeah, I mean it's a start, right? I mean I don't want us to get too ahead of ourselves, too ahead of ourselves, but obviously they're great young talents, and you know, given how young they are, hopefully they're going to be playing together for decades. I mean, you know, just like what, what I should have let happen with Nash and Dirk originally. Hopefully this will it'll play out um, so they both play together a long, 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 long time. One of the things that was really interesting, Mark, we were on Radio Row in Atlanta, and so the story comes out about 30 minutes before we go on the air, and Woj is listing teams, and the Mavericks aren't there, and then 15 minutes later, you guys have a deal. Obviously, <laughs> y'all had been talking. How, how did this thing sort of come together? Had y'all been working on it for months, or how, how oh, no. soon oh, was no, it? Oh, no, 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 not all like that. Um, you know, we had told him in the past that if they ever looked to trade for Zingas, we were – we were interested. And then um, that afternoon they called back and said, okay, we are. And we're like, okay, what's the deal? And we basically said, okay. (laughs) And we had a couple little things to talk about in terms of other players. And we worked through those other things to make the salary cap stuff work. And then it was a deal literally. I mean, in total talking time, an hour, an hour on Thursday after Dennis had gone for a triple double the night before. Yeah, pretty much. Ah, that's incredible. So it, yeah, and, it was. And, and so once uh, once all the pieces were kind of in place, I guess, you know, it was a matter of the Knicks didn't even really go out there and shop him so much. They just knew that you guys had what they wanted. Yeah, I, I mean, and look, shopping a deal is a lot more complicated than it sounds because, I mean, I, you know, you've heard me say before, 99% of deals fall through. And so it's tough to find a team that's willing to pull the trigger. And we're that team. I mean, a lot of a lot of times you'll talk to a team and they'll say, okay, let me take it to the owner, and then you'll never hear back from them. Or they'll say, we really, really like this. I think we're going to do it. Oh, I took it to so-and-so, and we're not sure now. And, you know, we want to wait till the trade deadline. And, you know, you, you never know until you know, and it complicates things considerably. And so, you know, we were well, um, ready, willing, and able to pull the trigger. It, you know, we agreed on, you know, something both teams thought was fair, and the deal was done. Man, that's awesome. I'm immediately thinking of that's the exact reason Jerry Jones talks about being a GM of the Cowboys. He's like, hey, other GMs got to go talk to the owner. I'm I'm right there, right at the point right. of attack on that thing. And it's the same way with you being hands-on as involved in the organization. You're yeah, right. I mean, obviously, I'm right there, but Donnie, Donnie yeah. does all the blocking and tackling and, and the hard stuff. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it's my final decision. And I'm like, Donnie, do we do this? And he's like, we do this. I'm like, okay, do it. Okay, I want to let's talk about that for a second, Donnie. I don't think it's near enough uh, respect, love, or credit. What an incredible deal for him to to put these two guys together, and all of you guys deserve a ton of credit. But tell us a little bit about uh, about Donnie. Not exactly a guy who seeks the uh, the limelight, but God, he's doing a hell of a job, isn't he? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, it, it's been a brutal two years, but you know, only two out of, of twenty effectively is it's not a bad track record. Yeah, and so Donnie deserves a ton of credit. Um, He's great at scouting talent and, and figuring out, you know, who can play and who can't. And 
you know, how good they'll be in the NBA. And, you know, that's worked out well for us. I love this trade for Dallas. Not at all for the Knicks. Porzingis does have some baggage. His brother slash agent might be an issue. But how much and how big and how damaging that baggage is is really up for debate right now. The torn ACL to me is not a concern. It's 2019. Guys come back from that all the time. So I expect Porzingis next season to be the unicorn, to be Porzingis again. And he could be doing that alongside Doncic. Like Cuban said, they could be Nash and Dirk 2.0. And Dallas basically gave up next to nothing, depending on how much you like Dennis Smith Jr. when he turns into in New York or elsewhere. The Knicks, meanwhile, they better land Kevin Durant and somebody else this summer, or they just burned down their future. And then there are the New Orleans Pelicans. They have until Thursday afternoon to trade Anthony Davis or keep him till the summer when the Celtics and others will join the pursuit. This is Seth Dunlap on WWL in New Orleans. The Lakers are desperate to get a deal done now before Thursday's trade deadline to preempt that bidding war. But the two offers that we've heard about, I guess they think they have the leverage in this situation. Somehow in some alternate Los Angeles constructed storyline, they think that they have the leverage in this situation. They don't. It lies with the Pelicans now. It's going to lie with the Pelicans this summer. If the Lakers want to trade for Anthony Davis now, they've got to be willing to outbid any potential offers that are going to come from suitors across the league this summer. Right now, they're acting kind of like Joe Sixpack, who's courting a Victoria's Secret supermodel by offering to take her to Olive Garden for endless breadsticks, thinking that's going to be enough because she didn't have any other dates planned that week. That's never going to work. She knows she's worth more than that. Eventually, better offers than that's coming. The Pelicans should not, they cannot accept any underwhelming or it might just be sufficient enough offer from the Lakers. They can't. The Celtics, Knicks, and a line of other teams are going to come calling in a few months. Why would you settle for Olive Garden breadsticks when you got a chance to go up to the penthouse and eat caviar? Either the Lakers are incredibly naive about the Pelicans' economic leverage in this situation, or they've truly shot their best shot here the past week. It's one of those two things. In either case, the Pelicans, they've got to continue to swipe left here, say no, and wait for the much better offers coming this summer. This isn't rocket science, folks. The Pelicans have the leverage. The Lakers don't. The Pelicans cannot accept this offer, and they can't accept any offer close to this that comes before Thursday from the Pelicans. It makes total sense to hold Davis until the summer when the Celtics and others would be involved, except for this. What do you do with Davis if you keep him past Thursday? Can he play? Can you run the risk of him playing and suffering a major injury and losing value? Can he simply just play and be booed and be disliked by your home fans? It's a lot of drama to put up with if you don't move him. Now, Seth made breadstick and dating app references. I know more about breadsticks. For endless breadsticks. Let's go that way. They might have to, the Pels that is, they may have to take the Lakers breadsticks this week just to move on from this debacle as soon as possible and hope that there wasn't a better deal down the road that they should have waited for. For endless breadsticks. 
That will do it for us today. Thanks so much for listening to the best of your sports talk. I'm Andrew Bogish in for DA. He's back tomorrow here on Around the Dial. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.